<clears throat> yeah, I'm your friendly neighborhood camp director. Uh, that's my job, and I'm just living the dream. And it's May, and it's nice. And I'm just like, this is as good as it gets. This is uh, just fantastic. I don't know where it's best for me to stand, so I'm not squealing here, but uh, I'll move around if I need to. Um, <clears throat> May 1st is always kind of the, the unofficial start of summer for us. It's like that's when the sprint happens. We kind of build up through April, and then May hits, and it's full go. Uh, and that's where we're at right now, and it's just a joy. And uh, yeah, I've been there 16 years. This will be my 17th summer on full-time staff. Um, and it's still... I don't know, I think it's actually even more of a joy now, especially after what we dealt with the last few years where nothing was certain, right? Like the last three years, there was no guarantee that we got to run camp. There was no guarantee that we'd ever get to run camp at Gull Lake again. Like it was like, like <laughs> we're a hospitality ministry that like focuses on hundreds of school-age children getting together in person in close proximity. Like... There was no guarantee that I was ever going to happen again. Uh, so it really feels like an absolute joy and blessing and gift to be back again. Um, this morning I talk about my two favorite subjects, which are uh, camp and Jesus. Uh, and I'm going to talk about camp first, and then we'll get to some of the, you know, frankly, the more important part, uh, which is Jesus. Uh, I heard you're at 40 years here in this church. That's incredible. I'm 40. I just turned 40. Very exciting to be 40. I'm enjoying it a lot. My vision is starting to go. So I'm like, I'm already like, here we are. Now I'm coming in. So you might see that as I go. Like, yeah. It's <laughs> but the camp, the camp's 103. How great is that? Anybody here 103? <laughs> Nobody. Uh, so for 100 plus years, We've been running camp ministry at Gull Lake, uh, which is just incredible. What an incredible legacy and lineage of ministry uh, that's happened uh, that you've been a part of for 40 years. The camp was founded as a place to play and to pray, right? It's these two very important halves of camp. We're not just play. We have such more important things to do, the spiritual aspect. But we're not just the spiritual aspect. We have the very holy and intentional task of play as well. And we see both as the sacred. We call it the sacred and the silly, and we try and smash them together in everything that we do. So camp is both fun and spiritual. It's deeply meaningful in the relationships that we build with each other and the relationships that we build with Christ. And that's what we've been doing for 100 years. Uh, 25 years ago, that's where I encountered Christ. Now, I grew up going to church, church just like this, one of your sister churches, First Baptist Red Deer, and I knew Jesus, and I uh, got to go to Sunday school and read the Bible, but I went to camp for the first time, and that's where it took. That's where I heard God speak to me, and it was this incredible encounter that I've never forgotten, and it shaped who I am, and it's how, it changed how I, I live my life now. Camp is like heightened life. It's not really real life. It's like life, but more so, right? We have 150 kids come together of a single age, and they get to play together. And we bring out 90 of the coolest leaders, and they lead these kids, right? Like, that's not real life. That's heightened life. Uh, and that's what we get to do at camp. And it's kind of the same thing spiritually. It's like we spend a week together, and everything we do is about being with each other, 
and being with Christ. Uh, we talk about camp uh, being a place where it's like a thin space, right? Not that God is ever any closer or further wherever we go or wherever we travel, but it's like it seems almost as if the distance between gets thinner, as if the noise quiets down, which is ironic because camp is loud. Like it's loud, like wonderfully loud. But spiritually, we get rid of all the distraction, right? So at camp, for example, uh, we don't allow cell phones. No cell phones, no screens. Which, so as you said, I have four kids. Uh, I have a 16-year-old daughter. Uh, she's one of our leaders. Last summer, she spent six weeks at camp. 16-year-old girl, six weeks, no phone, voluntarily. It was amazing. That might be the best gift that uh, camp has ever given our family. It was like, and she, my kid's wonderful. Like, she's, she's probably better than your kids. Like, she's amazing. Um, oh, shots fired? Okay. We'll see how many of you come talk to me afterwards. We'll see. I'm just getting started. Uh, no. No, I am just getting started. Um, but she's wonderful. But we've all seen, and especially over the last few years, just the detachment that comes with being on a screen all the time, right? So to have six weeks with only interactions with the people actually in front of you physically totally changes everything. Where you're getting influenced by the people in the room, not the people on the screen with, you know, whatever agenda they might have. Um, so that's, that's a bit of what camp uh, gets to be. It's this heightened life. We sometimes refer to it as a, as a mountaintop experience. And sometimes you can think of that like almost negatively, like, well, it's not real life. No, of course it's not real life. But a mountaintop, you don't go on a mountaintop to live on a mountaintop, right? If you think of a mountain, what's up there? Nothing. Rocks. But an incredible view, right? Where you get to see all around. And you go up to the mountain, you kind of recalibrate. You remember what's important. And you look where you're going. There's no food on a mountaintop. There's no water on a mountaintop. And that's what's the important relationship and connection between the camp and the church, is we might get to have these mountaintop experiences at camp where we come up, we rise above the clouds, we rise above the trees, and we're like, whoa, God is amazing. Like, amazing. And I want nothing more than to serve God. And you spend a week on the mountaintop, and it's wonderful. And you're like, okay, it's time to go back. And that's where you get to go back where there's food and where there's water. And that's the church. And we spend almost all of our lives in the church on Sundays like this. But then for a week a year, we send our kids up to the mountaintop where they get to go and play and pray together. And that's what we do. And that's what we've been doing for 100 years. And we could not do that without you. Uh, you are a key supporting church. So we have, so we're part of the denomination uh, we're, so there's actually a camp in southern Alberta, there's a camp in northern Alberta, and we're the camp in central Alberta. So we kind of uh, are responsible for the churches in the Edmonton-Calgary corridor. So there's about 30. And some support, and some are just kind of affiliated, and some send a bunch of kids like you, and some don't. Uh, but there's probably about four key churches, and you're one of our four key churches. So thank you very much. Uh, you help make camp happen every year. We genuinely couldn't do it without you, uh, and we would love to have your kids uh, here this summer. So I've got a little video uh, if you want to see a bit of what camp is. So I'll play the video now and then we'll continue on. We're actually almost full for the summer. So it's like, yeah, isn't camp amazing? Don't you want to come? You can't. Uh, <laughs> but next year, let me tell you, it's going to be just as good. Um, so camps are genuinely actually filling up. Uh, we've got about 920 
uh, camper registration so far. Uh, we'll be, yeah, we'll be full at about 1150, so we've got about 200 spots still. Uh, our junior high, our tween, and our leadership programs are full, they are sold out, uh, but there's still some space for our senior high camp and for our younger camps as well. Uh, and two, kid, or two camps I want to talk about is actually our, our youngest, so scamper camp, and then family camp. And these ones I think still have space because over the last couple of years we haven't been able to run them for a variety of reasons. Um, but these are the ones where we get to introduce kids to camp. So two things. One, we have scamper camp. It's just a weekend. It's for kids five to seven years old, which is crazy. Like, it's crazy to send your five-year-old away to camp for a weekend. Now, some five-year-olds are like, let me go. I can't wait to go. But other five-year-olds, like what I was and like all of my kids, are like, hard pass. So we created this thing called Scamper and Camper Camp, where you can come with your kid, but you're not a leader. Like, you're not a leader. You are a camper. So we created this, and I got to go with my youngest. His name's Koa. And uh, so I got to go with Koa, and we were in a cabin. It was me and another dad and a grandpa, and then our three boys. And then a cabin leader. So, like, we get, like, this, like, 19-year-old cabin leader who's there with us, and he's like, yeah, so here's the deal. I'm the leader. You're not. Uh, it's 7.30. It's time to brush your teeth. And... <laughs> My kid is just like, this is amazing. He loved it. Uh, and he was like, yeah, and now it's 8.15. It's time for bed. And that was it. That, that was it. Uh, but it was so much fun to have a weekend, just me and my boy, where everything was planned for us. And I just got to be like a camper with him. Like at camp, your camp friends, like those are lifelong relationships. And I got to be camp friend with my kid. And that was pretty cool. So I recommend that. The other thing is family camp. Uh, so family camp is this all-inclusive week at camp where we have boats and climbing wall and a speaker and all your food and we do all the dishes and we clean up after you and you get a cabin and it's great. Uh, so if you're looking for a vacation with your family and you want kind of all the amenities thrown in, a family camp might be the way to go for you. Now, camp in general is pretty expensive. Uh, so we need donations from you. We need donations from individuals to help subsidize. And we subsidize by about half but it's still about 500 bucks for a week camp, which is a lot. Like, that's a lot. I got four kids. That's a lot. And two of them are the leaders now, which is even more expensive. It's crazy. Um, but we never, ever, 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 ever want money to be the reason that a kid doesn't come to camp. So we have extra subsidy on top of that in our campership fund. Um, so if you are wanting your kids to come to camp, we want your kid at camp. If you want your grandkids to come to camp, we want your grandkids to come to camp. If you want your neighbors to come to camp, talk to their parents first, but we want your neighbors' kids to come to camp too. And if money's the issue, don't let it be an issue. Just send us an email, we'll figure it out. Um, and then if you're able to donate to our campership fund, that'd be great, because we're gonna need about $50,000 this year to help make that happen. So if you're able to do that, that's great. Um, good. Oh, I wanna keep talking about camp, but I need to talk about Jesus here. So two things. One, Gull Lake is shallow, like really shallow, which is great for running a uh, camp for kids because I'm not joking, I'm not joking. I know I kind of have a joking attitude and some of the things I say will be jokes. This is not a joke. It's this deep. Like it's this deep for like 400 meters. Now, it does get up to like this deep for a little bit, but then it goes back down to this deep for 400 meters. So... We got a party boat, like a pontoon boat, 
We can put, yeah, yeah, it's happened. We bought it. It arrived at the camp last week. This happened. And we've ordered a giant inflatable iceberg. So we can like take it all out to the drop-off, which is 400 meters out, and then we can have like an actual time of swimming where you're not like dragging your chin on the bottom of the lake as you try and like paddle around. Um, so that's new this summer. It's going to be very fun. Uh, it's great. And the second thing, and uh, Brittany doesn't know this, but I want to actually give Brittany a, like a, a specific shout out. I've never done this before. Yeah. So uh, Brittany's been at camp forever, uh, but she's, she's aged out, which happens at camp, and it's absolutely heartbreaking. So we need to like release her back into her, her real life. Oh, I'm going to cry. Uh, Brittany's the best. Uh, Brittany's actually the best. So my wife, uh, Sarah, who's seen a lot of staff, said Brittany is a staff she most wanted our kids to be influenced by. Uh, so, yeah. Oh, this was made more. Stop it. Stop it. All right. Enough about you. Back to me. Let's move on. Yeah, Brittany, you really are the best. And we appreciate you and we miss you. And we're stoked for your, your proper ministry as a nurse, which is very very important work. So, great job. You've been excellent. Okay. Uh, one of the big things at camp is leadership. Um, we get to cultivate leaders, and we get to bring in really young leaders, uh, and we get to train them and give them this space uh, to work and to practice and to become who, they, who they're created to be and to have this voice. Uh, so today, I want to talk about leadership, and I want to talk about cultivating a culture. Uh, because at camp, we cultivate this, this really intentional culture uh, around how we work with kids, how we work with leaders, how we teach the gospel. Um, it's, I, culture creation is probably our, or my kind of biggest obsession with camp. Does this add to the, the gospel culture that we're creating, or does it detract from it? And we're very careful to prune it and weed it and keep it going uh, very focused. So I want to talk about culture creation, and I want to use a story about Jesus as an example of this. So leaders set culture. That's what they do. And I want to be a little bit careful here because I don't want to minimize Jesus by simply calling him a leader, right? This is a talk about Jesus, who he is, and what the kingdom of God is like. Jesus is a leader. He was a leader. He had incredible leadership uh, kind of skills and lots that we can learn from. But I do not want to minimize Jesus in any way by simply calling him a leader. He is so much more than that. Uh, and I want to look at a story from the Bible that's an incredible example of culture creation. Uh, and it's a piece, which I love that we get to do this during communion. Um, it's a piece from the Last Supper. And it's, uh, I probably have this bookmarked. Oh, there we go. John chapter 13. So if you're following along uh, in your Bible, like an actual Bible, it's John chapter 13, uh, right from the beginning, uh, verse 1. So I'm going to read it, John 13. But while I read it, I want you to imagine that you're there in the room, right? So this is the room where the Last Supper is going to happen. So I want you to imagine that you're in the room. But you're just a fly on the wall. You're not participating. You're just, you're just an observer. Can you notice how the people are spread out? What's the room like? How big is it? What's the smell? What's the mood in the room? Is it upbeat? Is it low-key? Who's there? Who's in the room? Who isn't there that you might expect to be there? Who sits beside who? What's the temperature in the room? Like, what's the actual temperature? Is it hot? Is it cold? What's the emotional temperature? 
What's the mood? What's the most interesting decoration in the room? Is it even decorated? I invite you to put yourself in the room as you listen to this story, okay? It's just a fly on the wall in the room. John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. That's an amazing story. Just an amazing story. And I think, I think we get desensitized to the popular Bible stories, and that's too bad, right? If you had to hear that for the first time, whoa, what a blessing. If you've heard it so many times, that's, that's a blessing too. But we have to work a little bit differently now to hear it again. Uh, I remember picking my daughter up, my eldest daughter, who was maybe three years old at the time, and she was at Children's Church. And she came out with a coloring sheet that she'd been, you know, just scribbling on. It was just a mess. Uh, she wasn't that great then. She was fine, but like, I mean, she's gotten better as she's aged. Uh, <laughs> mostly in the lines now. It's phenomenal. Um, but anyways, she comes out, and she's got this coloring sheet, and it's just scribbled on. And it's a picture of Jesus on the cross. And I thought, oh, you just took the power out of that story. Because now, when she's older, at this time I was thinking, when she's 12 or when she's 13, and she hears that story, it's going to be trite, right? It's not going to have that same power. Because it was just a coloring sheet when she was three. And she's going to go, oh, yeah, 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 I know. Jesus died for my sins. I get it. No. No, you don't. Jesus dying for our sins is a radical thought. It's a radical, radical thought. It's a radical action. It's not just a coloring sheet. It's so much more. And this story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet is not nearly as radical as Jesus dying for our sins, but it's a powerful story nonetheless. This is a powerful teaching moment and a powerful cultural creation moment. And you may have heard this story before, and you may feel that you already know it, but try to see it anew. So, a couple things I want to point out. 
Now, first off, just know that in this story, like washing people's feet wasn't special, right? Like this isn't an unusual act. That's a normal part of the day. People walked everywhere, and it's dirty, and it's sandy. It's like camp. They're all in bare feet or sandals. So, and unlike camp, washing your guest's feet was a very normal part of hospitality, right? Like this just happened. But here's where the powerful part comes in. It was the servant's job to wash the feet, right? There's no honor in this. There's no respect or dignity. Whoever had the lowest ranking washed the feet because feet are gross. I mean, feet are gross like today, now. Like my feet are gross. My kids make fun of my feet all the time because I always have a black toenail from skiing or running or hiking or generally being awesome. Um, so like imagine like 2,000 years ago, right? Before antibiotics, before antifungals, before running water, before waste disposal. Actually, I brought some pictures along. I searched Google. I, if we can, no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. Let's show the pic. No, I am kidding. You get it, right? Feet are gross. So washing the feet was for the servant and not your favorite servant, the other one, the one you didn't like. So imagine this scene, right? They all arrive at this place where they're having supper. And this is just a borrowed guest room in somebody else's house. And there's no one there to wash their feet. So they sit down and the meal proceedings start to begin. I wonder if anyone said anything out loud. Like, did one of the disciples say, oh, I guess we forgot to bring a servant to wash our feet. Or, oh, I guess we just don't get a wash tonight. Or do they say nothing? Right? Did this just happen sometimes? I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know what happened exactly, but I do know what should have happened. One of the disciples should have washed their master's feet. Jesus was their rabbi. He was their master. In this relationship, they are the servants, right? But nobody gets up to do it. Now, I don't think that any of them would have had a problem washing Jesus' feet. He was obviously above them. But I wonder if they didn't want to wash the other disciples' feet. I wonder if they thought they were above that. I wonder if they didn't want to take the role of the servant amongst the group. Right? Because once you do something once, that's your role forever, right? So I wonder, I wonder if there's this awkward moment, right? We're all kind of like side-eyed, looking around, wondering who's going to wash their feet. Or I wonder if they just resign themselves to the fact that no one's going to wash their feet and it's no big deal. Disappointing for sure, but not the end of the world. Either way, we do know that none of the disciples get up to do it. So then, Jesus, the teacher, the rabbi, the guest of honor, the master, not to mention, right, like Jesus, the son of God, God himself, the savior of the world, Jesus gets up, takes off his robe, puts on an apron, and begins washing their feet, taking on the role of the servant. What incredible humility, right? What an incredible moment that has actually shaped our Western world in deep ways. This is the beginning of servant leadership. The ripples of this teaching are global, 
Jesus, by humbling himself to the role of a servant, is making a very loud statement to his disciples. He is saying, you are not special. You're not. You are unique. You have gifts given to you that make you different. And you matter. You matter so much. But you're not special. You are not above anyone else. You do not get special treatment. Your job is to serve. Just like my job is to serve, right? That's what Jesus is saying with his action. You are not equal to me. I'm your master, and yet I'm serving you. Now go and follow my example and serve one another. It's a powerful thought. It's a powerful action. Now, I have seen this acted out in ways that, as the youth would say, is totally cringy, right? I've seen church leaders completely miss the mark on this by bringing people up on stage so that they can make a public display of washing their feet in front of everyone so the crowd could see just how much they are like Jesus. Like, imagine if I was like, Gary, come on up. I would like to wash your feet right here, right now, just to show just how humble, like, I would like to serve you in this way. That's a look at me moment, right? See how humble I am. Gary doesn't need that. His feet are clean, I'm assuming. Uh, he's probably just fine. That's a power move that increases my power. But I've also seen this done in a lovely way that's a symbolic demonstration of humility and respect. I've seen this done at a wedding where the couple washes each other's feet as this promise to serve and honor each other. Now that's beautiful and that's intimate. I've also seen it done in church settings where leadership has washed each other. Like it's, it can be beautiful. It can be absolutely beautiful when it's understood as a symbol. Um, what I'm talking about is people in a power position trying to show off their fake humility in a way that just isn't right. And I bring this up because Jesus is teaching a critical message about the kingdom of God here. He's not actually talking about washing feet. He's talking about what it means to be a follower of him. If you are going to follow Jesus, you are going to take on the role of the servant. That is the point. That is the example that he has set before us. And sadly, we see that this example has not been followed countless times in the church, and we see it you know, splash across the headlines with regularity today. Church leaders not accepting the role of servant. Now, I don't say this to throw, you know, rocks from my glass house, but to notice the temptations that I have in my life and to be reminded of the example that Jesus taught us. I am tempted all the time to think that I'm special, right? Like, oh my goodness, my ego would go rampant if I wasn't constantly reminded of this story. I'm constantly fighting with the idea that I'm special, that I matter differently. And there is some truth to it in some ways in my role, right? Because there is work that only I can do. In my position, I have certain responsibilities that it matters that I do them. I have things that keep me busy. I have things that are important to get done. I have talents and skills and responsibilities that are unique to me. But that does not exclude me for one moment, for one moment, from the role and the mindset of a servant and that willingness to do whatever task is necessary in the moment. And yes, I have a job to do that requires me to serve in some specific ways. 
but I should be willing to serve in each and every way as needed. Just as Jesus was willing to serve in each and every way. Uh, I was listening to a podcast like a year, year and a little bit ago, and it was called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Which was a, so Mars Hill was this mega church based in Seattle. It was passed by a guy named Mark Driscoll. And it's a fascinating part, podcast. Tough, tough listen, uh, but it's a fascinating podcast. And it looks at what happens, or what happened in this particular case, when a Christian leader loses their servant heart. It was difficult to listen to. But it was an important reminder to me that we are called to serve. All of us are called to serve. And in the podcast, there's this, just this little snippet from a guy named Andy Crouch. And he was talking about in this kind of, you know, good timing with the coronation that just happened. We're talking, he was talking about Princess Diana. You youngins aren't going to know who that is. I, I know. I'm kind of just in that window. And, but Princess Diana and another lady named Mother Teresa. So Princess Diana and Mother Teresa. And the comparisons that can be made between the two ladies. Uh, now, one comparison being that they were two of the most famous and recognized women of the 90s. And another, that they both did this amazing charitable work. And they had, you know, just wide-ranging influence. And of course, you know, the last comparison that they died uh, at, you know, basically the same time. But Diana and Mother Teresa had utterly different paths to celebrity and to influence. And Andy Crouch uh, points out that it's fascinating that almost everyone wanted to be like Diana, right? Everyone wants to be like Diana. But only one can be Diana, right? There's only one Diana. There's only one person that gets to marry the Prince of Wales. There's only one person that's that pretty, that's that charismatic, that's that well-positioned. And honestly, it's not you. It's none of you. Not even you, Gary. Sorry. Uh, it's not you. None of us are princesses, right? None of us are. Sorry. Truths. I'm dropping truth bombs here. Um, but none of us are princesses, and none of us are going to be princesses. We just aren't. Period. We cannot do what Princess Diana did, because we are not her and we cannot be her. But, Andy Crouch goes on to say, any of you can be like Mother Teresa. Any of you can be like Mother Teresa. And this is the line he said that especially hit me. He said, because all she is is a saint, and any of us can be saints if we open ourselves to Jesus. All she is is a saint. And any of us can be saints if we open ourselves to Jesus. That hits me. That hits me hard. The simplicity of it. The flippancy of it, right? Like anyone can be a saint. And the truth of it. The path to being a saint is simple. It only requires us to open ourselves to Jesus. Any of us can be a saint. Are we willing to open ourselves to Jesus? So I have a friend believe it or not. But I have a friend whose brother's ex-wife, right? So it's, it's my friend's ex-sister-in-law. But this lady, uh, this ex-sister-in-law, is having devastating and declining physical and mental health issues. And it's because of her alcohol abuse. It's a bad situation. Uh, it's just, it's, it's very difficult. And this person has become very difficult in this situation. She's mean, she's confused, she isn't able to care for herself or her children, uh, and she's now hospitalized and has been for a while. But in all this, she's in extreme denial. She doesn't take any responsibility for it, and she's very upset that she's in this situation. So she's in the hospital, 
but she's also getting evicted. And whether she's in denial or not, she's still getting evicted, but she's not doing anything about it. So my friend, after much verbal abuse from this lady, got the keys to her place, moved all of her possessions into storage, and then cleaned the house to fulfill her sister's obligation to the landlord. She did this as an act of love and service to her ex-sister-in-law, but also to the landlord who would have been stuck with the cleaning otherwise. That, that is not the work of a princess. That is the work of a saint. Jesus showed us how to do the work of a saint. Jesus set the example and the expectation that we will go and be saints in the world around us. Now, this is not meant to add a burden or another, you know, checklist on your, on your to-do list, another item on your to-do list. It's not meant to add more work to your life. It's not like, oh, great. Now I have to go and wash somebody's feet today as well as everything else I have to do. This is an invitation. It's an invitation to remind you of the culture that you are being welcomed into by Christ. A culture in which no one is better or above anyone else. A culture in which we all serve each other. A culture in which the Lord of all, in which Jesus himself is willing to do the work of a servant. Will you participate in that culture? Will you cultivate that culture? Okay, one last thought, then I'm done, promise. So, if you can, I want you to go back and imagine that you're in that room, in that upper room with the disciples and with Jesus. But this time, I don't want you to be a fly on the wall. I want you to imagine that you are there. You yourself are there in that room as one of them, participating in the meal. The meal is just about to be served, and you are sitting there, one of them, in the group. It's been a long day. You're excited for this special meal. What do you think Jesus would have done when he saw you? When he saw you sitting there with the others? He would have washed your feet. He, Jesus, the Lord of all, would have washed your dirty, your tired, your unclean, your unwashed, your well-used feet. He would have held them in his hands. He would have dipped them in the cleansing water. He would have rubbed them with the cloth and dried them with the towel that was wrapped around his waist. It was his last supper, and he would have loved you as his own to the end. Uh, so today, in the midst of whatever journey you are on, whatever has made you tired and dirty and sore, Imagine that as you sit down to a meal, Jesus, the Son of God, the Lord of all, takes off his robe, puts on an apron, kneels down beside you, beside you, beside you, and washes your feet. What an intimate act of care for you. And he does this because he loves you. He loves you to the end. Are you able to receive this love? And then he sends us off with a challenge. Now go and do the same for others. Uh, that is the culture 
that we set at camp. Uh, Brittany's the best. She's the best of the best. Uh, and now I need someone to replace her. It's tough. We just about have all of our staff hired, but I got a couple spots left, uh, specifically for male cabin leaders and maybe a boat driver if I like you a lot. We'll see. So if you want to be part of that, if you want to come and serve, if you graduate high school, uh, I invite you to come and serve at camp. If you have maybe aged out, or maybe that's just not your jam, I invite you to find other ways where you can serve and be part of this culture where we bring the kingdom of heaven to earth, here and now, that we get to be participants in that. Uh, let me invite the worship team to come up. I'm going to pray while they do that. So I have kind of this funny, I think it's funny, other people don't think it's funny, but I try and like pray, but I pray really quick, like, hey, let's pray to end the service, and then I finish, I'm like, amen. And it's right like here, like as like the band is like one step up on stage, but I'm not going to do that. I'm inviting them up so they can pray with me uh, while they're here on stage. So let's pray together. Um, yeah. Holy God. Holy God, holy God. You are such a mystery to me. You are divine. You are the almighty. You are everything. You are the beginning and the end. You understand and created and are at work in every single atom and molecule and cell that make up me, that make up us, that make up everything. And yet, you wash our feet. And yet, you long to be in relationship with us so desperately that you're willing to sacrifice yourself on choice, on purpose, so that we can be in right relationship with you. God, you are so good. We worship your holy name. We praise you. God, I pray that you give us peace. Peace as we go about our daily lives. Peace within ourselves and peace within our relationship with others. May you guide us in grace. We pray this in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for having me. I'll be out there. Uh, and I love talking about camp. The 